Okay, if you would turn in your Bibles, if you brought your Bibles this morning to the book of Judges, chapter 11. Judges, chapter 11. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you and you want a Bible, just say you don't own one and you want one, we'll get you one. Just put that on a connection card uh, that you find in the bulletin or come see me or one of our deacons afterwards. We'll, we'll, we have Bibles we can give you. Uh, otherwise, you can watch on the screen where the text will be. But we are in Hebrews chapter, well, briefly in chapter 11, and then in Judges chapter 11, 1 through 40. And Father, we do ask that, Holy Spirit, you would just um, impact our lives this morning. We come here, I hope and pray, to be impacted, not just to uh, show up and leave. We want to be different going out than we were when we came in. And that includes me, Lord. And I just pray that uh, you would use um, this, this holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible document called the Bible to um, rattle, ra- radically touch our lives in ways that maybe we didn't think we were gonna be touched this morning. Maybe we we're afflicted and we need to be comfortable or maybe we're comfortable and we need to be afflicted, but however you wanna talk to us, Lord, uh, take us to the next level spiritually through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today we're continuing to uh, make our way through the book of Hebrews. And I'm not sure how long I've been in the book of Hebrews, uh, probably mm, four or five months maybe, I don't know exactly, six months. But um, we are in chapter 11 called God's Hall of Faith or Faith's Hall of Fame, where recorded are many, many people of faith that God invo- in, uh, inducted into his 11th chapter of Hebrews to give us as an example to live by faith. And today we come to a guy by the name of Jephthah. Jephthah, okay? And Jephthah was, was, a, was a spiritual man. He was a great leader, but, seems like there's always a but, you know, when it comes to f- people in the Bible, but he made probably one, if not the worst uh, promise or vow that anybody could have made in the entire Bible. If not the worst, probably up in the first, second, or third worst promise or vow in the Bible. Now there are a lot of bad promises made in the Bible, a lot of bad vows by people. Let me give you a couple examples here. Think about um, the impulsive promise that Esau promised Jacob uh, when he said, I'll give you my inheritance for a bowl of stew. That was a bad promise. It did not end well, and it's still affecting our world today. Um, In John 14, Herod the Tetrarch uh, watched a young woman, a girl, dance in front of him, and he got so entranced with it that he promised that whatever she wanted, he'd give her up to half his kingdom. And he was expecting her to ask for, you know, material things. And what happens? She asked for the head of John the Baptist on the platter, on a platter, and reluctantly, he didn't want to do it, but reluctantly he had to be true to his promise and that's what he did. And John the Baptist was martyred. And then of course you guys all remember Peter's famous promise to Jesus. He said, everybody else, for, they might forsake you, but I promise I won't, Jesus. We all know how that turned out, don't we? And uh, um, in the spur of the moment, these people made unwise, impulsive, rash, Let's just say it's stupid promises. And uh, Jephthah did too. He made a, a, a dandy of a bad promise. And we're gonna get to that eventually in the, in the passage. You might, actually, you might be saying, who? Jephthah? Who's Jephthah? 
Jephthah was the ninth judge of Israel back in the book of Judges. The ninth judge in, in, of Israel in the book of Judges back in, here in the Old Testament. And as I've said, he might have made the most unwise promise in the entire Bible. And yet, for some reasons that we're going to talk about momentarily, he was inducted into God's hall of faith by God, by the Holy Spirit. He was uh, in, uh, put into the faith's hall of fame. And so when I see that and, and, and we go through these names, I thought, well, why? Because he just face planted. I mean, he just, he just blew it. But God inducted him to face hall of fame. And if you don't believe me, I'm just I'm going to read it anyway. In Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, verses 30 through 34, I believe it is, Hebrews 11, 32 through 34, it says this. I'm in Romans, so that won't work at all. Let me go to Hebrews 11, 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson. We've done those. Now Jephthah. Jephthah. Verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. What's Jephthah doing in the, in the hall of faith, faith's hall of fame? By the way, the Holy Spirit made sure he was. Well, we're gonna find that out. He, did, he, he was a great guy. There's some great truths about Jephthah. The fifth one that we get to will be where he stubbed his toe. And I think we can learn some things from Jephthah. Number one, um, Jephthah was inducted into the Face Hall of Fame because he rose above rejection uh, to become a mighty warrior. He rose above rejection to become a mighty warrior. I want you to look at the first three verses as I read them here in Judges 11. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. Now, he was described here as a mighty warrior, that meant he had a lot of courage, he was tough, he was smart, he was brave, he was strong, he was fearless. But it wasn't always that way, okay? We're told here that his mother was a prostitute, so his father stepped out on his wife, uh, um, Jephthah's mother, went and visited a prostitute who got pregnant and had a child who was Jephthah. And boy, was he rejected. And I read into this, and in verse 2, we see that his brothers, and no doubt if he had sisters too, they rejected him. And I'll just paraphrase what I think they probably said for probably anywhere from 18 to 21 years. They said, you know, you're, you're the son of a prostitute. You're not really part of our family. You're the unwanted son of another mother. You're not our real brother. You're a half-breed. And you kind of think about how that stung um, all the way to adulthood. He didn't flee, he didn't leave the family till he was an adult, whatever that meant in that culture. I'm thinking 18 to 21, I don't know, but something like that. And rejection stings. If you've ever been rejected, I have, no doubt you have to some degree, you've been rejected or mistreated or betrayed. It stings, it hurts. 
Now, imagine that for a couple decades, every day. And then ultimately, when mom and dad started to get really old and it looked like the inheritance was going to get passed on, they said, you don't get any of that because you're not really part of the family. So why don't you take a long walk off a short pier and disappear because you're not going to get anything from us. And he probably felt worthless and unwanted. So it says here that he fled. But that's not the end of the story. He becomes, as we're told in verse 1, a great and gifted military leader. Now, interesting, if you look at verse 3, it says, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. That's a pretty merciful way of, of calling these people, adventurers. That sounds good, doesn't it? They're adventurers. You know what they were? Literally, if you kind of pull the floorboards up from this word, it means that they were worthless men. They were malcontents, empty men, plunderers, hoodlums, good-for-nothings, having little or no moral, morals or ethics. And that says a lot about Jephthah. This guy who lived under the, the oppressive cloud of rejection and mistreatment for all those years somehow gathered together these malcontents, these hoods, these, these plunderers, these empty, morally and, and spiritually empty men into a mighty army, okay? He pulled them together. He unified them into a fighting force, a formidable fighting force. And although it seems strange that Jephthah went from a life of rejection and feelings of worthlessness to, gather, to gathering and leading a group like this into success, we find the answer to how that happened, which intrigues me. How did that happen? This is how it happened. He became a believer. He became a believer. As much as the Old Testament concept of a, a Christian was, he was that. Okay, in fact, to prove that, I can't do this, you know, in detail, Jephthah uses the personal name of God, Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, more often than any character in the book of Judges. More than Samson did, more than Gideon did, I looked through it, more than anybody. He loved and knew God. And that helped him rise above rejection. And here's, this is what Jephthah teaches you and I. If you've ever been rejected or at a certain time will be rejected, that Jesus Christ is the answer to rejection. When we find ourselves rejected or mistreated or sinned against or whatever, the fact that God when we were born again, God sent Jesus Christ to live within the center of our being and give us new life and a new identity, we have all we need to deal with rejection. Why? Because, the, because acceptance with God through Christ is the opposite of rejection. And the wrong thing to do when we feel rejected or sent against or mistreated is to try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and accomplish things and do things in our own strength and our own power and through our own giftedness to feel better about ourselves. That's the worst thing that we can do because it's an endless pursuit that will never result in fulfillment. 
But when Christ enters into our life, the infinite value of God applied to our hearts is all we need to deal with rejection at the core of our identity. I expected a little few more amens than that, okay. Isn't that wonderful? And Jephthah is is an example of that. And you can be, what what Jephthah teaches us is that through Christ, excuse me, we can be unshackled from our past. And some of us have the bad habit of dragging our past around with us like a ball and chain, right? We really do. But we don't have to be a prisoner of our past. It might have been painful, it might have been filled with rejection or ridicule or abandonment or mistreatment or sin, but, but with God's healing Christ, we could be used in significant ways because God loves us and he gives us the ability to overcome our rejection through the acceptance we have in Christ. I've been reading through the book of Colossians lately. Holy mackerel. I preached through the book of Colossians many years ago. I mean, I had that silly idea that I got all I could out of Colossians. Don't ever think that by reading the scriptures, well, like, that's that. Got all I could out of that book. Read it again. You will go, well, that's that. Got all that I need. You can do that a hundred times to still get things out of the same book. And I love what it says about when we as Christians are placed into union with Christ. It says, now we are holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Now, through Christ, before God. And that's what Jephthah teaches us. Whether, again, we've been rejected or ridiculed or abandoned or mistreated or sinned against, Christ changes everything. And you know, it even goes farther than that. You know, he can use the bad stuff for good. He can use our rejection, our abandonment, our mistreatment, our trials, our failures to produce significant growth and help us to minister to people that have gone through the same thing. So, and you know what else was really cool about Jephthah? He didn't play, he didn't do what has now become America's greatest pastime. Do you guys know what the America's greatest pastime is? Playing the victim. That's become the new number one sport in America. I'll find something to be a victim about. It's not sin. It's a sickness. It's a disease. It's a proclivity. Do you see Jephthah doing that? Oh, I bad, had a bad home environment. That's why I robbed those 12 banks, you know. No, he doesn't play the victim. He went from a zero to a hero because of, of God, and we go from a zero to a hero because of Christ. That's a great thing. That's one of the reasons why he got inducted into the Face Hall of Fame. Let's go to a second one here. Second one here is this. It, not just did he rise above his rejection, but Jephthah, instead of becoming bitter, Jephthah was forgiving. Jephthah was forgiving. You say, Pastor Mitch, you always seem to be talking about forgiveness. I'm tired of it. Well, go find another church, okay? (laughs) And I'll tell you why I said, that is the wrong thing to say. (laughs) The deacons are going, oh, what is he doing up there? (laughs) Um, Okay, let's say the Our Father, okay, together. 
because uh, the, the Lord's Prayer. Can we do that right now? I, we'll, we'll have different versions, but we can all push our way through it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, that's short. Jesus, how do we pray Jesus? I always thought, man, Jesus, that like takes 60, 50, 40 seconds. Don't you have more to say than that? But did you notice what's in there? You know where I'm going, don't you? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Of all the things that Jesus could have told us, he, he fit forgiveness of others' sins against us in there. So don't ever tell me I say it too much about it. It's crucial because at any point of time in our life, we can be wronged. And we will have to apply this. It's not just for what happened way back, although it can be. Let's look what happens. He's a forgiver. Sometime, verse four, later when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. I know what I would have said. Up your nose with a hot poker, okay? (laughs) Jephthah said to them, up your nose, oh no, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites with you uh, and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them and he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So after being attacked by the Ammonites, Jephthah's family and and, and, and area of Gilead um, had to swallow their pride and in a moment of desperation ask him, the one that they remember said, get out, remember? They said, hey, um, hey, you you know, uh, sorry about what we did the other day, but could you come back and be our commander in battle? Because he saw what he did with all of those malcontents, right? And he was a mighty warrior and had a formidable fighting force. And, and uh, they, they said in desperation, not because they wanted to necessarily, but they needed to, they said, would you come back and be our leader? By the way, mini lesson here. Beware of mistreating others because you may have to humble yourselves to them later on. And there has been more than one time when I was going to give someone a piece of my mind that I could not afford to lose. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Mitch, I indwell you. And if you act in that manner, you know you're going to have to go back to them and ask forgiveness. And when the Holy Spirit says that to me, by the grace of God, I usually just do what I'm about to talk to you about. Be careful 
we may have to go back and say, will you forgive me? And believe me, I've had a good number of crow that I've had to eat. So be careful about who we mistreat, especially in the body of Christ. Anyway, they didn't want to, but they needed to, and Jephthah is skeptical at first, and he should be. You know, he's not willing to be victimized again. You know, they hurt him bad. And by the way, when you forgive other people, that doesn't mean you continually let them victimize you or poo-poo their behavior as if it wasn't important. Okay? You don't have to put up with bad behavior in a person to forgive them. We'll get to that. But after being promised the leadership position over Israel, verse 8, Jephthah wants assurances that he's going to be their head if he leads them, and you can see why he's reticent to do that by the way they treated him. The elders of Gilead reaffirmed their promise to Jephthah, and so Jephthah agrees to be commander over them, confirming his decision with God in verse 11. And I love the way he brings that big decision to God, and he goes, God, I... What do I do here? Because I don't want to be hurt again. Good lesson again. Make all, confirm all of your decisions to the Lord. And he does. But he gives us a great picture of forgiveness here because Jephthah had all the reason and opportunity in the world to get even for all the years of rejection and mistreatment. But instead, he forgave. And that was, uh, for me, that's one of the main reasons he got inducted into Face Hall of Fame. And he's so different than Samson, isn't he? I mean, Samson, when he got hurt, he killed people. And we have to be careful, too. Have you, are you, you, need, are you, do, you do you know you're looking at a murderer right now? I am a murderer. I've murdered a good number of people in my heart. Jesus said, you, you commit lust in your heart, you're committing adultery. You commit murder in your, or hate in your heart, you're a murderer. We've all committed murder. Because Jesus said, if you, you know, the consequences are different than a physical murder, but Jesus says, if you hate someone in your heart, if you don't forgive them, you're murdering. And Samson was a murderer, but Jephthah wasn't. Jephthah wasn't a murderer. Okay? He forgave. All the years of rejection and mistreatment after he was sure that he wasn't, you know, going to get stomped on them by again, he didn't hold a grudge. And as I said right at the beginning, we can't hold um, bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness uh, if we're going to grow in the Lord. Okay? We can't. Okay? Why did Jephthah grow into a great warrior and was inducted into the Face Hall of Fame? Because his forgiving nature enabled him to grow. It enabled him to succeed and to move on to greater heights. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment limits and stunts and blocks us from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, moving in and through our lives. It's the key to further growth. And it's the key to staying right where we are if we don't do it, okay? Um, and by the way, it's really freeing to forgive. I've had to, I could, I, you know, I wish time was stretched out over these messages farther, but um, I've had to forgive people that have hurt me, and it's given me such freedom. I don't think about them anymore. I just don't, it's gone. 
I mean, you know, once in a while, Satan will try to push it back into my consciousness. But it's, for the most part, the bell has stopped ringing in my head, right? And the voice, is, that loud voice of, of bitterness is gone, okay? And, it, and as I say this in a miniature thing here because we've got to move fast, but forgiveness is only real when we go to, to the Lord. We don't have to go to person A, B, or C, but we go to the Lord and in a decisive, real, honest way with God, we name that person, John or Jane Doe, whoever it is, we name the offense that we feel perpetrated upon us by them, we allow ourselves to feel the feelings of hurt that we have and bitterness, and we confess to God, I forgive John or Jane Doe for this and how it made me feel Without fudging, that was then, this is now, that's water under the bridge, none of that fooey. And when we do that, we begin to get our freedom. And Jeff thought I did that. Jeff thought I did that, bless him. Let's go to the third one here. What, another thing that Jeff thought got himself inducted in the Face Hall of Fame here was, and we see it in verses 12 through 28. Not only did he rise above rejection, not only did he have a forgiving nature instead of a bitter nature, Jephthah was even tempter, tempered, not over-emotional. And what a difference, two weeks ago I was here, Dylan preached last week, what a difference from Samson. No one would ever have called Samson even-tempered, right? Oh, you know, Samson, that even-tempered guy? Oh yeah, the jawbone thing, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, but, but he's really, no, this is, a, this is a hunk of scripture here, so I'm gonna read right through it here, okay? Verse 12, follow me along, along with me. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with a question, what do you have against us that you have attacked our country? Because this is why uh, the Gileadites came back to, Sam, uh, to Jephthah and said, we need your help. The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers, and he lied through his teeth. When Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, all the way to the Jordan, now give it back peaceably. Jephthah sent back messengers to the Ammonite king saying, this is what Jephthah says. Israel did not take the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up out of Egypt, Israel went through the desert to the Red Sea and down to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, give us permission to go through your country, but the king of Edom would not listen. They sent also the king to the king of Moab, and he refused, so Israel stayed at Kadesh. Next they traveled through the desert, skirted the lands of Edom and Moab, passed along the eastern side of the country of Moab, and camped on the other side of the Arnon, and they did not enter the territory of Moab, for Arnon was its border. And then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon, and said to him, let us pass through your country to our own place. Sihon, however, uh, did not trust Israel to pass, Sihon, however, did not trust Israel to pass through his territory, and he mustered all his men and encamped at Jahaz and fought with Israel. Then the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his men to Israel's hands, and they defeated them. And Israel took over all the land of the Amorites who lived in that country, capturing all of it from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the desert to the Jordan. Now, what you see in these verses is how courteous how careful, how constructive, and how much 
uh, Jephthah kept his emotions under control when dealing with a difficult person. And every one of us here can draw from this because we all run into difficult people in the church, in the world, at jobs, neighbors, relatives, whatever. Um, someone who doesn't cheer for the same football team that we do when we are at the Super Bowl party. He shows us how to deal with people. Not getting over-emotional, but staying even-tempered. And he knew that if he got into war with these guys, that thousands of Jews would be killed. And he still might win the war, but there would be a lot of destruction. Okay, so, uh, and he knew that they had, the Ammonites had a mission. And it's interesting, the same mission that, um, that many nations around Israel have today, to exterminate Israel and drive them into the sea. Nothing, the more things change, the more they say the same, right? It's happened today. So just flop questions the Ammonite king for attacking Israel. Why are you attacking me? He puts it in the form of a question. He didn't say, you are attacking me. He says, why, why are you attacking me? Could you give me your, could you tell me why? And the Ammonite king demands his land back from Israel. He's lying. And Jephthah gives the Ammonite king three reasons why he would not return the land because what the Ammonite king said wasn't true. Israel, number one, Israel took it in war from Sihon, the king of the Amorites, not the Ammonites, if you read closely. The Lord gave the land to Israel and they had long possessed it. And so the argument is that the right of possession is the Israelites against the rival gods of Canaan. And Jephthah says, this isn't your land. We came out of Egypt 300 years ago and we've won this fair and square because God gave it to us. Now you can't always use the God card, but if you can use the God card, use it. Okay. You know, when those guys on TV say, God told me so, I'm going, okay. I'm not sure. Was that your God or mine? I'm not sure who told you. You know, don't, when, you know, when preachers use the trump card, God told me so, take it with a grain of salt. You know, don't just swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Sometimes just to, to, to finish the argument and stomp on people, people use God. But he didn't hear. God did tell him so. God gave it to the Israelites. And what right, he says, Jephthah says, do you have to take it over? Why are you waging war against me? And then verse 27, uh, Jephthah says, let the Lord, uh, I love this, let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute. See, you know why I love that? Because he put the whole argument into whose hands? God's hands. When you know you're gonna be up against someone, and let's say in the church, you have a different point of view than the, the people in the church have, right? I know that never happens in churches, right? We all think the same all of the time. It's, that's called a cult, by the way. But um, we don't do that in the church. It's okay not to think the same as the other person, as long as it's not one of those pillars, the deity of Christ. You know, the Trinity, what the pillars, as long as it's not that. Otherwise, put the conflict in the hands of the Lord first. 
before every committee meeting, before every Bible study, before every home group, before every business meeting, put the conflict into the hands of the Lord first and let him make the ultimate decision. It goes a lot better that way. Whatever. And then uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the king of Ammon doesn't like that. And it says here in verse 28, uh, let me find verse 28 here, that the king of Ammon, however, took his cookies and went home. That's not the revised version, but that's the reverse vision. Uh, the king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message that just I'll say, all right, you know, that kind of thing. But as a man of God, Jephthah acted much differently than his enemies. He was willing to negotiate without arguing or bloodshed. He was not a hothead. He wasn't always looking for a fight. He knew how to compose his emotions ahead of time. No doubt he spent time with the Lord before this confrontation. That's why he said, let's, let's let the Lord, you know, handle the dispute. We can learn from that. In fact, I've carved out a couple New Testament verses on that real short but good ones in Romans. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then right up further, 14 and 19. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do, you, do we do that when we congregate together in, in small or large form? That's the question. The question, I'll, I'll even get a little bit more pointed before we go to our fourth point. Um, are you an Ammon or a Jephthah? Are you the take my cookies and go home because I didn't get my way? Or, and I'll, I'll include myself in here, are we an Ammon or a Jephthah? Are we, I take, I take my cookies and go home because I didn't get my way? My point of view is not the point of view of other people. Again, unless it's those crucial pillars, you know, unless those crucial pillars, are we an Ammon or a Jephthah? You know, I am not the most learned person. I haven't been around as much as some guys, but Deb and I have been around a little bit. We've learned a lot after we uh, retired out of Cedar Home and went to other churches. But you know what I've discovered, sadly, is that there are people in the church that care nothing about unity. It's scary. I just, let me do this dramatize it. I just sit and I go, Am I really hearing what's coming out of your mouth and life? Don't you care about all the other people here? It's just, it's kind of like an out-of-body experience for me. And we have to be careful that unity comes as a top priority, unless it's one of those pillars. And people make a lot of pillars out of things that shouldn't be pillars. All right, got around it. Are we a Jephthah or an Amnon? Ammon, excuse me. Okay, four. I got 11 minutes to do my next two points, so here we go. Fasten your seatbelts. 
Number four, and I think this is another reason why uh, Jephthah got in, inducted into the Faith Hall of Fame. He rose above rejection, he forgave, and he was even-tempered, and then instead of relying on himself, Jephthah was anointed by the Spirit. Instead of relying on self, Jephthah was anointed by the Spirit. Look at verse 29. Verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And he crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah and Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. He tried. Oh, he tried with the king of Ammon. Okay. You don't want to settle this peacefully? Here we go. And then look at verse 32. This is what happens. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands, and he devastated 20 towns from Aurora to the vicinity of Mineth, as far as Abel Kerimim, and thus Israel subdued Ammon. Now, here's what I love about this, is that before he went to battle, what happened? What happened in verse 29 before Jephthah entered the battle and won? It's not a true question. The Spirit of the Lord came on him. And you know, it was like God took a big old honking paintbrush when I read that and painted this big old thing going, don't do anything outside the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't do it. Don't go into any battles in your life. Don't go into any conflicts in your life. Don't get up to preach. Don't, don't drink your chai tea in the morning. Don't do anything without being filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed with the Holy Spirit. I'll give you the victories you need. I'll resolve the situations that you're in. I'll take care of you. Your job is to do what the book of Ephesians says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. They were anointed with the Spirit. That's still Old Testament. It was before Pentecost. But after the church was birthed at Pentecost, and then we were given the privilege of having the Holy Spirit come inside of us to live through Christ, and that's how we are to function on a 24-hour basis. Spirit-filled Christians. The most important question we can ask when we put our foot on the floor, when we get out of bed and have our quiet time, day or night, whatever it works, is, Lord, am I filled with the Spirit for what's to come today? Am I filled with the Spirit before I go out and work around the house? Am I filled with the Spirit when I'm around my children? Am I filled with the Spirit when I go to the grocery store? Who will I meet there? Who will I meet there? Am I filled with the Spirit? Because you never know who's gonna call you. It might be one of your kids, a friend in need. Am I filled with the Spirit before I come to church? so that I can maximize the time and greet and edify and worship and have a clear mind for, am I filled with the Spirit? When, when I'm with my spouse or we're under pressure, am I filled with the Spirit before I go into life's battles? That's what Jephthah teaches us. He was a Spirit-anointed man. No greater question for the Christian in terms of living. Am I filled with the Spirit when I go to a business meeting? And do I only say the things that the Spirit gives me license to say? Or do I operate out operate of my own wisdom and flesh and, and on my own self? If you can't say amen, say ouch, okay? When we get 
when we face on a daily basis those sensitive conversations, those serious trials or troubles, that crippling confusion, we don't know which way to turn, that anxiety that seems to just overtake us, that crucial decision that we're gonna have to make, it's all about going to the Holy Spirit. The spirit that's the comforter, the counselor, the leader, the guider, the director, the corrector, the revealer, and saying, fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me. And Jephthah shows us what living in the spirit can do. But now comes the last one, where he stubs his toe. Well, you guys know this part of the story, so a lot of you, so I'll, I'll, I'll hurry through it, and we'll, cl- we'll close, but... Verse 30, Jephthah does something really dumb. Jephthah makes a vow to the Lord. He says to the Lord, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites um, will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And we all said, "Uh uh-oh, because when you go to verse 34, Jephthah returns to his home in Mizpah, and who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sound of tambourines. And she was an only child except for her. He had neither son nor daughter. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes, and he cried, oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched, like it's her fault, and because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, You're out of your mind. No, she said, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. And after the two months, she returned to her father and did to her And he did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. And from this comes the Israelite custom that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. And so Jephthah, you say, doesn't this contradict what you just said about Jephthah being filled with the spirit? or Absolutely not. Because we can go, everybody, we can go from a spirit-filled condition into a fleshly condition in a nanosecond. Or at least I can. I'm like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, remember that movie? Depending on the circumstances. Have you ever done that? You've just been walking with the Lord and you had a good quiet time and you just seem like, and then bam! Something rattles your cage and you turn to, to the flesh. That's what happened to Jephthah. And all of a sudden, he's bargaining with God. And you know what? He didn't have to. He didn't have to make a deal with God. He didn't have to inject his flesh, his self, into this. You know, he was going to battle against the Ammonites. He was a little bit scared. And so he said, you know, I think I'll try to control God a little bit. I think I'll try to bargain with him and make sure I win the battle when God already guaranteed the battle. So he was doing things in the power of self. When God had already said, I'll answer your promise, my promises to you. And we have to remember that. Okay, and I'm not gonna go into whether she was burned alive as a sacrifice 
or whether, because there's, there's a competing idea here or debate, great debate, over whether he actually did a pagan sacrifice and put her to death that way by burning her alive as the Ammonites and Amorites did with their kids. Or, um, and I know some of you would like to do that, but don't do that. Um, don't do that, don't do that. They're gonna be okay. Um, and that he sent her to the temple or tabernacle in, in Shiloh to dedicate her to the service of the Lord as a virgin. She would never marry half kids or grandkids, which was a huge deal in that culture. So we don't know, you can read up on it, there's arguments both ways. Here's the problem. He tried to help God. I got some advice for you that I've learned the very hard way. Don't try to help God. God doesn't need your help. God needs our trust, not our help. I don't know what you're facing, but remember this, he doesn't need your help. He says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. He doesn't need our help. He needs our trust. God doesn't want us to negotiate with him. He wants us to trust him. Okay? There's no need to bargain with God. No need to do something in our own strength or wisdom for God to keep his promises. He keeps his promises. Either we trust him or we don't. Either Romans 8.32 is right or not. How shall he who, didn't, who gave up his son for us all, will he not freely give us all things? My worst mistakes, and there is a truckload of them, have been when I've trusted self instead of God. And I'm learning not, well, I'm in process of learning, trying to not do that. I think one of our greatest weaknesses can be our lack of trust in God when we face a difficult situation. It's our greatest weakness not to just go in raw, naked faith. And d doubt and panic start to rise up, right? And, 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 and anxiety and we begin to try to do stuff on our own to make things better. And it's not that we don't do what we're supposed to do, but we shouldn't do what we're not supposed to do, right? That's up for you to decide what that is between you and God, but we don't, when we, let me put it this way, no matter how far along we are in the Lord, no matter how far along, we can still do something stupid by trusting ourselves. So easy to do. What area is God asking you to trust him in? What area? Right now, today. What area is God asking you to trust him in? Because that's where Jephthah stubbed his toe and lost a daughter. God doesn't need your help. He needs your trust. Okay. He told us that he would give us the victory. He told us that he would guide us. He told us that he would help us make that decision if we trust him and not ourselves. Well, I wanna finish with this question. Why was Jephthah in Faith's Hall of Fame? I ask that every time. Next week we, go, we get David. Next week we get David. David blew it, didn't he, a few times. Badly. But why? This is what I wanna finish with. Because overall, in spite of making an impulsive vow or promise or decision, whatever you wanna call it, 
And that's something we need to be careful about. Overall, he was a man who of faith. Isn't it good that even the, the inductees into the hall of faith uh, were fallible and mortal like you and I? I'm so glad. God, I think God included some of this stuff just to say you don't have to be Mr. or Mrs. Perfect to get into the hall of faith. But he was a man of faith. He was a man who rose above rejection through Christ. He was a man who forgave those who hurt him. He was a, man, a diplomat. Not a, he was an even-tempered man, not a man whose emotions took over in the heat of the battle. He was a man of the Spirit. And like someone said, a life filled with faith and all of these other qualities is well-pleasing to God. Do you have these qualities? Do I? Those are the questions we need to ask. It starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ to come within us, to save us, to allow us to be born again. And when that happens, we begin this journey to be people of faith. And I hope you've done that. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the example of Jephthah. Lord, I'm convicted by my own sermon this morning. I am. I look at these character qualities rising above rejection, which I've had a good amount in being a forgiving person and being even-tempered instead of emotional and over-emotional, being a man filled with the Holy Spirit and so on, and I think, Lord, I've got a long way to go. But I thank you that we're all a work in progress. And as a congregation of people today who are here because we love you and we want to serve you and we want to hear you and we want to change, we surrender to you, Holy Spirit, now to do these things by your strength that we've heard about Jephthah and to not do what he did was to take over when we don't need to and really we can't because you're in control anyway. Thank you for teaching us this morning. Lord, bless our time now in the afterglow of fellowship and lead us and push us and nudge us to people that might need a hello, might need a how are you, might need a, a prayer. And we thank you for this in Jesus' wonderful name. All God's people said, amen. You are.